do this every single week from here on out. How about that? Are you good with that? Like, that was good. Every single week from here forth. Um, so my name is Chris Causey. I'm lead pastor, and I'm so glad that you are here today on this very weird year of 2021, or as I like to call it, 2020 Part 2. Um, so I don't know about you, but um, kind of coming back to this weekly service idea and what I sincerely thought was going to be a different world um, this fall. I don't know about you, but my expectation was the fall was going to look a little different. I was like, man, like we've got things moving, um, you know, like the COVID kind of slide graphs look like a really fun amusement park ride. Like it was just way up there and it just goes straight down. It's like, man, this is going to be awesome fall because um, we've been working and planning. Um, like I, during COVID, I got certified as a life planner because I'm going to be rolling in life planning um, as a part of our pathway for you here. Like all these things we've been working on, like, okay, fall is going to be awesome. And then I don't know if you saw this meme, but then this happened. And I think this kind of captures how I've, I've felt over the last few weeks, like my fall plans and then the Delta variant. And this is for those parent trap, um, the, the new, not the old, um, fans in the room, right? Like, she was going to marry him, and then they showed up, and there was two of them. And she completely destroyed the potential marriage. Um, or this famous moment from the office, right? Like, there it is. There's my fall. And the next thing you know, my face is in chili on the floor, right? And then probably the best one to capture the experience of how my heart has felt is my fall plans... And then Delta variant. Because doesn't it feel like that right now? It's like, are you kidding me? And internally, what I've done over the last month or so has shifting from, okay, letting go of this idea of life after COVID, which is what I thought my fall was going to be. Man, we'll, be, we'll finally be post-COVID and the way it's going to be working itself out to now it's life with COVID. So what is life with COVID this fall, 2020, part two, your kids going back to school with the same way they left school? Like, how do we do this? How do we navigate what feels like um, the phrase I've been using a lot when I get asked questions? I don't know. Maybe. You know, what we're going to be able to do this? I, I don't know. Maybe. I mean, I really don't know. And for me and for our household, and I imagine for you, it, we're just kind of moving into this unknown again. So many of the businesses in Boston that thought September was going to be back in the office, now it's like, well, let's, hey, JK, October, and then even just Friday, some major companies were like, oh, you know, how about 2022? Let's try that as an opportunity to get people back into the office. And um, so we're just dealing with a lot of unknowns. And September 12th, we're going to be kicking off a new series and kind of launching into our fall season, for a lack of a better word. But in the this week and next week, before we kind of full out return to like, you know, all systems go, um, I wanted to talk a little bit about this unknown season. Because I think there's actually some really exciting possibilities for you and me in this unknown. And that for some of us, we're so done. We're so ready to be finished. But what if perhaps there's something God wants to finish in us that this season can produce within us that maybe another season wouldn't? And it, I think a lot of what maybe could happen in you and me could be 
possibly under this pressure cooker that we call COVID, and I don't want you or me to waste it. And so this week and next week, just kind of kind of unpack this a little bit, but today I want to just address the fact that, okay, what does it look like to go into the unknown, to have to live in the Groundhog Day again, and um, because, you know, we're all learning the Greek alphabet. I bet you never thought in 2021 you would learn the Greek alphabet, and you already know Greek alphabet letters, and there's a feeling that maybe we're going to learn some more letters, and I'm hopefully not all the way to omega, which is the last of the Greek letters, right? So um, to get there, I want to take you to a passage today that is an obscure passage in an obscure book, but if you've spent any time around church, no doubt you know this passage, because within this book, this kind of major uh, book in the Old Testament called the Book of Prophecy, the Book of Isaiah, Um, Isaiah was this famous prophet, probably one of the most famous prophets in the nation of Israel's history, and he happened to lead and to speak during a time in Israel's history where things were really uncertain. Things started really, really well at the beginning of the book of Isaiah, the time frame where he begins his ministry, his service to the king, and by the time he gets towards the end of his life, uh, the wheels have absolutely fallen off. There's a lot of question marks, and And so while this passage may be obscure for many of us, I want to actually focus in on the most famous portion. In fact, if anyone was ever going to get a tattoo from the book of Isaiah, this is the passage they would get tattooed because it's just very poetic, all right? So to set the backdrop, we don't 100% know in Isaiah chapter 40 what exactly the, the backdrop for this moment was. We have two theories. One, it was either the exile, which was a period of time when Israel, the nation, had been completely defeated and made to march hundreds of miles into a foreign country where they knew no one there, they did not know the language, and they were pretty much living in a foreign nation um, with the brightest and the best of them being turned into Babylonians. Um, Or it was a period of Israel's history before that where an army, an invading army known as the Assyrians, had come in and defeated almost everything in the nation except for the final city. Regardless, um, even if you're not a student of history, both of those moments were bad. Both of those moments were very unknown. And there was a lot hanging in the air. Which is why in chapter 40, Isaiah, there is a bit of a turn because it turns to this focus on the period of Israel's history where there's just so much unknown. And it begins with these words, Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord and my cause is disregarded by my God? Isaiah is essentially serving as a lawyer in this moment. He's kind of set up a courtroom and he's brought them to the stand as a nation. And he calls them Jacob and Israel. That's a a way of referring to the nation and a very personalized way. And he says to them, why are you saying these things? And the answer is because of what they're going through. They're going through a hard time. There's so much unknown. There's so much pain. There's so much uncertainty. There's so much, there's so much pressure in their life that they're beginning to complain. And they're beginning to think that God doesn't even see them, know them, or care about what they're going through. And this is the reality of life for them in this moment. And Isaiah is wanting to set the stage for this conversation that we're about to watch unfold. And I think in many ways, you and I can kind of resonate with what's happening in this passage. You see, what they're doing here is a very human thing to do. When things get hard, we begin to complain. We begin to grumble. 
we begin to lash out and to blame. And this isn't Israel's problem. This is our problem. This is a human thing. When things get hard, what do we do? We complain about it. It's a whole lot better if we can find someone to blame for it. And this isn't just what your children do. This is what you and I do too. Right? We get in that heated argument and you're wrong. You know you're wrong, but you can't say that. And what do you do? Your first defense is to say, well, you did this. Well, you said that. We, we lash back. We point the finger back at them. We say, well, well, you did this to me. Complain, blame, and we lash out. And this is something historically people and nations have done. If you um, like history, in the early 1930s um, in, in Germany, the Nazi party already existed. The Nazi party in 1931, 32, um, 33, they only can try, I think it was about 2% of the government body was represented by the Nazi party. The Nazi party was not popular. They had no voice, no traction, because their message didn't resonate. And then what happened? The stock market crashed in 1929, and that was a global crash that caused Germany to spiral financially into a really dark place, and the Nazi party exploded in the midst of that financial pressure. Why? Because their message was complain and blame, vilify and lash out. And I would argue that over the last year, one of the things that's been very obvious as I read headlines and watch commentary and editorials is we've gotten really good at complaining, blaming, and lashing out. We've gotten more extreme today than we were when we first came into this pandemic. It's those idiots' fault over there on that Democratic, that Republican Party, that fill-in-the-blank. The independents can't even make up their mind, right? I mean, we, we find someone to blame, and to lash out against. It's someone's fault. It's the media, news, there's conspiracies. We grab hold of anything in the midst of the unknown to make ourselves feel better. And what Israel was doing in that moment was actually um, turning on the one person that was probably the worst person to turn on. They weren't just lashing out, they were lashing up too. They're like, God, you're just like the rest of us. They were bringing God to their level and they're lashing up to heaven. And they're like, God doesn't care. God doesn't even know what we're going through. He's ignorant. He's incapable. He's disregarded us. They're lashing up and they're lashing out. And that's what happens when we find ourselves in the unknown the pain, the pressure. The, the slow-cooking pot that we're all simmering in right now, it's easy to vilify, demonize, and find a group to lash out against. Because we're looking desperately for some kind of escape from the pain. And the worst thing that you and I can do is lash up. Because we actually end up cutting the very rope to the anchor that can actually sustain us and hold us through the storm that we walk through. Which is why Isaiah, in his bringing them in front of the court, says, Do you not know and have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God. He's the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. Isaiah is directly 
countering the arguments that have been simmering in the nation. They think that he's a God who is not faithful. They think he's a God who is not capable. And he says, no, he is the everlasting God. He is the strong one. He is the faithful one. He is the capable one. He is not the never. He is the ever and the always. And no, no, no. He is not some God who's unable to reach you where you are in this hard place. He's the creator of the ends of the earth. You see, in the idea of the day, the, the notion was that any God was geographically bound. It's, it's like if you've ever been speeding, which I'm sure you've never done, um, and you're driving down the road and you see a cop car behind you, and then you look, and maybe you're in Dedham, and, you, and it says Westwood, and you're like, Psh, you ain't got no power here. Right? Like you look and you see, you're like Norwood, you're like, Psh. You can't bust me here. Boston cop, you ain't got no power right here. You see that sticker from that town, and you realize they have no jurisdiction. I'm safe. Yes. Right? Maybe that's just me, okay? Um, But I think we do that. We're like, oh, you don't have any authority here. You can't do anything about it. And this is the idea people have of God and gods in the ancient world. A God was only as powerful as the zip code. And if that God stepped out of that zip code, if he went outside of his jurisdiction, if she went beyond her boundaries geographically, then she wasn't powerful anymore or he wasn't strong anymore. And if you happened to serve that God and you went on a vacation or you got captured and taken somewhere else and it was no longer the same place you lived, then you're really in trouble because that God can't do anything for you there. That was what they thought about God. That's why Isaiah is saying, no, no, even if you are in the farthest remote areas of the world, you're in a land where no one speaks your language and you are a defeated people living in exile, he is the creator to the ends of the earth. There's no place he can't reach you. There's no circumstance, situation, hard time, hardship, pressure, tension, struggle that you're in that he can't come into. And only, not on top of that, he's not like you and me, because that's what Israel was doing. They were projecting. They were lashing up. They're like, well, God's just another bigger, more older version of you and me. He gets tired. He gets weary. The tired on the first one, so they're actually two separate words. The first tired is a physical one that means that you just physically gave out. The weary is probably what many of us have experienced over the last year and a half. The weary is more of an internal exhaustion. Your body's still working, but it's, it's a tired that sleep doesn't fix. I don't know if you've ever had that. Where you go to bed and you wake up and you still feel tired. Well, that's not tired. That's called being weary. And he's saying that, look, God doesn't get tired after all of the work that he's doing that day, nor does he get weary where he's like another day where they're messing up and making things crazy. I just can't do this today. i got to take a vacation from these people. No, he doesn't get weary. And he says, his, fath- his understanding no one can fathom. He's like, do not suppose that you understand the mind of God, Israel. Do not suppose that you comprehend how he comprehends and sees. That when you live in a hardship, in a hard time, you're walking through this exile or this military kind of defeat or in the midst of a pandemic. It feels like forever, but for God, it's just a blip. He's like, you cannot read up your understanding on the world onto God. And then he gets to the point that's the encouraging point. He says, look, and this is why all this is so amazing, is because he's the God in the midst of all of that transcendence, in the midst of all of that amazing, awesome, stronger, different, distinct from you, 
He's not a God who's so above you that he doesn't reach down to you. Which would be one of the logical conclusions. You're like, man, well, God is so, God's so busy. He's so strong. He doesn't have time for someone like me. And he says, no, he gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. And then he writes this very poetic section, maybe one of the most poetic pieces in the book of Isaiah, second to maybe Isaiah 52. He says, even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. He's taking this argument. He's still in this kind of courtroom phrase. He's, he's saying, okay, what is the strongest, what is the picture of uh, human strength? He said, well, it's, it's children. I would argue specifically it's a toddler because I have one. And uh, that little kid never stops. And I'm like, how do you just, he's like, look, Daddy, I can run. Boom, 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 boom. And I'm like, that's great, boy. And he's like, boom, 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 boom. I'm like, I wish I had some of that. Like, what is it, right? And, and he's arguing from the sense that we all recognize where they seem to have this boundless sense of energy. And he makes the point that even they get tired and weary, that even the young men, the warriors, the, the, the ones who run into battle def defending the nation, even they stumble and fall sometimes. He says, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. That's the line that I was referring to about the tattoo. You know, I actually have it on my back when I do this. The eagle flaps. It's the greatest thing I ever did in my life. It happened during COVID too. But you know what happens in COVID uh, stays in COVID. So I just like to flap my wings, okay? Um, so anyways, this is like the poetic piece of it. And they will run and not grow weary and they will walk and not be faint. And there's a good reason that people like this passage because it's a really like poetically, visually compelling image, right? Like the idea of an eagle soaring on wings is an amazing thing to see, right? Th this is literally a GoPro strapped to the wings of an eagle flying over the Alps. And you look at it and you see the perspective and the grandeur. Like this eagle, and pay attention, watch how very little flapping happens. It just soars. It's not even, it's just looking around saying, what am I going to eat and what head am I going to rip off, right? I mean, like it's showing up for the buffet that is this beauty right here. And so when you watch an eagle soaring, you're like, yes, clearly this is an incredible thing. Like, this is what I want, God. I want to soar like an eagle. And this was the part of the passage that would stand out to me when I would read it. I would be like, oh, this God is what you can do. I mean, you can see his shadow on the very bottom down there. You're just like, this is an incredible creature. But what's amazing in this passage is not this. It's not the soaring of the eagle. What's incredible is the line that those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. It's those who. Not, no qualifier about age or stage of life or strength or composition of your makeup. Right? No no reflection of your physical or mental abilities. It's simply those who hope in the Lord. Now, that sounds really vague, right? Well, what does it mean to hope in the Lord? And, it, uh, and maybe instinctively, intuitively, you kind of push back, and you're like, well, I don't understand that. That sounds very religious. That sounds like one of those stupid, like, um, greeting card sayings that you see Christians post online of, like, let go and let God, which makes absolutely no sense to me, even as a pastor. But... What is actually happening here is very, very natural to you and me. 
So think about this, the very first thing you ever did, the very first act you ever made on planet Earth was you placed your hope in something. You don't remember it, but you were born. Your world was nice and warm and comfortable and, you know, things just kind of flowed really easy. All your needs were met. You had this really wonderful, like, hookup system. Like, everything was perfect. You had a good backbeat going on that was always present, radiating through this, like, very cool spa thing that you had doing. And then all of a sudden, one day, you kind of, bam, out of that thing into this cold, heavy, confusing world that was bright and scary. And your pipeline is cut, and all of a sudden, you're having to use something you've never had to use before, and you're having to fight to breathe in, to live air. And what did the doctor do when you were born? They placed you in the arms of your mother. And in that moment, you did one of the most human things ever. You put your hope in something. Because all of a sudden, you were powerless. You had nothing working with you. Everything was working against you. And in your state of powerlessness, you gave into, completely trusted, the arms of this woman who had been carrying you for so long. You hoped in someone. You and I do this all the time, and we've been doing it for so long, we don't even realize when we do it. Maybe for some of you, like me, even in the midst of this, my hope was in life after COVID. And once we get on the other side, then it'll finally be done. My kids will stop having their life robbed from them with normal experiences. I won't have to walk into a store and feel like I'm in some weird movie scene with uh, everyone as surgeons who just rushed into CVS to buy something because, you know, everyone's wearing surgical masks. And, and that you can actually see a human smile. And that my hope became life after COVID. And then when life after COVID turned into life with COVID, it was a punch in the stomach. Why? Because I'd, I'd kind of leaned into this idea of life halving, like finally getting started after this thing was done. You and I have had this moment in other ways. Maybe for some of you, you'd put your hope in your job, and then when you lost it, all of a sudden you found yourself in a hopeless place. Maybe for you, your hope was put in a relationship, and the day they said, I don't love you anymore, your world fell apart. Maybe for you, your hope was in your finances, and the day that that card came back declined or that check bounced, all of a sudden you found yourself with despair. Why? Because those were all symptoms that you had leaned into and put your hope into, something or someone. And that the only thing that actually can sustain us in the known and in the unknown is by leaning in and hoping in him. Because what happens when we hope in him, it says we will renew, we'll be renewed. And I love the word renew there because um, it's not like refresh, like hitting your browser and the thing pops up. No, no. Renew is, is the word actually means to like exchange. It, it, it's like the 
a, a common way this word would have been used um, in the, the language of the day would have been if someone was giving you their coat. You would have put their coat on and it would have kept you warm. There was this exchange going on. And what this passage, what Isaiah is saying is that those who hope in the Lord, those who lean in him in the midst of even if everything around them feels hopeless, that what happens is God gives an exchange. And the exchange, I used to think this passage was like it started off with the biggest and went to the least, but it's actually not. It's a subtle escalation that Isaiah writes. He says, well, they will soar on wings like eagle. Well, that's impossible. That's extraordinary. That's that, you know, like once in a moment kind of thing that happens and God gives you the strength to say it or to do it and to follow through with it. And then it goes into sprinting. So you got soaring and then you got sprinting. But sprinting is, a, you know, it's not something you do all the time. Now, except unless you're a toddler, then everywhere you go you sprint because that's your default. But the escalation actually ends with the final piece. They will walk and not be faint. You see, while one is the extraordinary and, and almost miraculous, and the other one's just this amazingly rare moment, the strolling, the walking, well, that's every day. And what Isaiah is saying, that those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength, is that God is able to do that not even in the miraculous, but in the mundane every day, even in the midst of a pandemic, even in the midst of being a teenager, walking back into 2020 part two of school and trying to make friends, but everyone looks like Bane from Batman and you don't know if they like you or if they're interested or if they're open because you can't read their face. Like even in the midst of the unknown and the everyday, God is still in the business of exchanging. And so how do we do that while we walk through in unknown territory? How do we navigate that? And the answer is in the passage. But to get there, I want to talk about something that's very deeply personal and passionate to me. Makeup. So um, Astrolift is a really famous global brand that one of its distinctives is its ability to allow that collagen deep in your skin to fight the anti-aging enemy that's outside called the sun. Now, Astrolift is a billion-dollar brand, and the reality is that most of us would not know the backstory. You see, Astrolift was created by a company that was facing a barrier and a struggle that similar companies had completely been bankrupted by. See, in 1975, I don't know if you know this, but Kodak, the film company, actually invented the first digital camera. The young man walks in all excited because he has just invented the future, and he hands it to his boss, and his boss says, no, we're not a company that's ever going to, this is confangled devil technology, and they suppress it. Why? Because Kodak was a film company. That's what they did. They made film for cameras. Do you remember that, where you'd click, and you'd have to be like, and you would then wait a couple weeks and find out that your picture was actually out of focus. Remember those glorious days? Well, see, at that point, they were like, this is the best product in the world. Why would we want something that gives instant feedback and has the picture in your hand? No, the best idea ever is to take it, scroll it, 
drop it off at CVS or Walmart or Walgreens and wait a couple weeks to realize that you actually took every one of your pictures, those really defining life moments like your kid's graduation or the birth of a child, all out of focus or with your finger in front, right? Or without the flash on or when everyone had really scary red eyes and looked like little tiny demons possessed them, right? Like, that's the superior product, clearly. Get out of our office, engineer, with your confangled digital camera. And so they suppressed it in 1975. Think about it. 1975, the digital camera existed. You fast forward a couple decades, they realize that the digital camera is actually a thing. And by the time they realize it, it's too late because they're still too committed to the film business that they have. And eventually, this 120-year-old brand declares bankruptcy in the early 2010s. Now, go to the other side of the Pacific to Japan. Fujifilm, which was in existence almost as long as Kodak, founded in 1930, so there's about 40, 50 years difference. And they were the dominant Powerhouse, 70% of all film sold in Japan was Fujifilm. They had a market share that anyone in any kind of business would love to have. And yet, they were watching like Kodak was watching. They were watching the film industry begin to shrivel. And the film business begin to die. And Fujifilm realized when they looked to their past, that maybe there was something in their past that could actually help them for their future. You see, I believe all three, that you and I live in three different places simultaneously. We live in our past, we live in our present, and we live in our future. That those three different spaces are all happening present in our life. And that what happens a lot of time in people's life is that people get locked into their past. They don't look into their past. When you get locked in your past and you're defined by your past, then you're Kodak Film and you're a film company. That's who you are. That's what you do. That's what you will always do. Your past completely determines your future. That's not just true of film. That's true of people who've walked through a divorce. That's true of people who've walked through an addiction. That's true of people who've walked through financial struggle. That's true of people who've walked through any struggle personally, professionally. We allow our past to determine our future. But what Fujifilm does that's really fascinating is they look to their past to find the inspiration for their future. They're not locked into it. So they ask a question in summation that says something like this. What do we already know that could help us grow? Now, they had a culture of reinvention that's pretty famous today, but back in that day, it was not really well understood. And they had this answer. They said, you know what? Um, well, it turns out that we're really good at stopping film from being aged and damaged by UV. And then they had this other realization. Well, you know, we're really good at working with collagen, which is what most film primarily is comprised of. Well, guess what? Collagen and chemicals that can prevent UV light from degrading collagen had another place that it could be applied, which was this, Fujifilm figured out that they already solved a problem. They already had something in their past that could help them go into their future. And just in case you think I know way too much about makeup, let me take you back to the passage. Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? My cause is disregarded by my God. Remember how the courtroom discussion starts? There's a subtle play 
that happens in the words that I think is a really important piece of information. God, through Isaiah, is saying to them, why do you complain, Jacob? And then, why do you say Israel? He uses two different names to refer to the nation of Israel. And I think it's on purpose. And he's doing a very subtle callback. You see, the nation of Israel was named after a man named Israel. And his 12 sons that became the 12 tribes of the nation that we now call Israel today. And Israel then. But before Israel was Israel, kind of like Prince, like the, the artist formerly known as Prince. Before Prince was Prince, right, he had another name. And Israel's name prior to this defining moment of this encounter with God was named Jacob. And Jacob, when he has this encounter with God, is in a season of life where he has lived completely separated from God, completely distant from God, completely in rebellion to God. And now he's in this very terrifying place where he's not sure the next day if he's going to live. It's a scary, unknown place. And that night, he ends up having this, this really life-changing moment with God that forever transforms his life. And to make sure that people really fully understand how much he's changed, he goes around telling people, hey, don't call me Jacob anymore. Call me Israel. Because I'm not who I once was. I've been changed. And why does Isaiah call them back? to that period of time because that was a previous time when the nation was in a place where things looked scary, where things looked big, and where things were unknown. And why does he call them Jacob? Because he wants them to be reminded that, hey, you've been here before. And then in the very next breath, he calls them Israel. And remember what God did then. Look to your past, and you can find strength for your present and your future. Reframe the way you're looking at tomorrow by looking back at days that have gone by. Was God faithful then? Then is it possible he'll be faithful today too? Was Jacob, remember when you didn't care about who God was? Remember when you didn't know if God even knew you were there and then you discovered God had been watching you all along? God had been following you, pursuing you, loving you, chasing after you all along through that period. Remember that, Jacob? And then remember what he did, Israel? I don't know about you, but when I put this into motion in my life, what I find is that I have a lot of moments of God's faithfulness in my life. I'm not just talking about a couple weeks ago where me and my daughter happened to be sitting at a red light and we're waiting and she says something, the light turns green and normally, I don't know about you, but I'm one of those people when the light turned green, something like almost instinctively in me wants to like kick it like I'm going into some kind of drag race. I've never done drag racing, but I think that maybe there's a part of me that would be really good because when I see green, I'm like, wham. Right? But my daughter's sitting there, and she says something to me, and I'm like, oh, that's a really interesting thought. And I'm just sitting there, and the green stays there for a couple seconds, and all of a sudden, boom, right in front of us. And had I hit that green like I normally hit that green, me and her would have been in a really bad place because this truck came barreling through at full speed, running a red light. Now, I'm not even talking about that kind of moment. Though those moments have happened to all of us. I'm talking about the moment where I ate last night. Where I had a roof over my head last night. 
where I've got clothes on my body today, where God has met me in every single moment of my life, that you're not dead, he's not done. I'm not dead, he's not done. And the God of Jacob is the God of Israel, who's the God of your past too. And he's been faithful there for you too. And that one of the best things that you and I can do when we're in the midst of the unknown, even if you're not even sure where you stand with this idea of God, is to look to your past and ask the question, what do I already know that could help me go forward into my future? And I promise you that if you interrogate your past, what you will find in your past is a moment after moment after moment of God showing up faithful. God put you where you were when you were born. He has been present in your life even up to this very moment. He sustained you through last year's school year. You've gotten this far. What do you already know that can help you go into the unknown? The God of Jacob is the God of Israel. And if we remember that very subtle difference, then you and I can walk into the unknown knowing that there's a God who's already called us, who knows us, who loves us, who's for us, who's been faithful to us in our past to give us the confidence in our future. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for Jesus and the fact that what happened with Jacob and Israel was just a prelude to what you would do for us. Thank you for the way that you chased after Jacob and the way that you uh, demonstrated your love, your grace, your faithfulness then and that you still do that today. I pray that even in our hearts now, in our minds, God, that you would encourage us and remind us of your faithfulness. Bring to moments right now in our hearts and minds the ways you've taken care of us and the ways you've sustained us. Help us to become intentional about asking the question of looking into our past but not being locked into our past. And Father, may you order our steps in this season regardless of what this season holds. May you watch over, protect, and guide, and lead, sustain each one of us, including our kids, not even present in this room, but in the rooms around us, through this unknown season of life with COVID. And it's in your name, Jesus, that I pray. Amen. I want to thank you for being here today. Um, we're going to close out the way that we normally close out when human beings are here. Is uh, We're going to have a song. Because I think the simple question of what do I already know? that can help me go, that really can unlock some really powerful things in our life. That you don't have to be Kodak. You can be Fuji. And that God is still the God who's able to do that. And so our, our team is going to lead us in a song that I, I think is such a powerful um, song that captures the spirit of that. A song that's called It Is Well. It's written by a guy who walked through the loss of his um, family and in the midst of grieving recognized that the God who had been faithful in his past would sustain him through the pain and the pressure that he's facing in his present moment. And that we have a chance today just to kind of commit the, this fall season 
to him, not even knowing what it looks like. And so I want to invite you to stand, um, and our team will kind of lead us through this song. Um, and I want to say, in the spirit of what I just talked about, I want to say thank you for those who call Encounter Church home for the way that you've been apart, even while we've been apart, that we're still here. Our doors didn't close. Doesn't mean that it's not scary right now. Doesn't mean I don't sweat sometimes with, like, how do we do tomorrow? But this is a church of you, not of me. And that collectively, your faithfulness, your generosity has allowed us to navigate this season and, um, and has allowed us to even be generous in the midst of this season. That just recently, um, we were able to reach out to someone we know in Haiti whose um, village was devastated by what happened there, and to say, hey, we, we heard about what happened to your mom's home, and we want to help rebuild it. And the reason we can do that is because of you and your generosity. And so I know one of the, the weirdness in the season that we're in right now is that clearly passing anything is probably not good. <laughs> um, but uh, every time we've had a monthly service, this has been one of the questions like, hey, I want to give. How do I give? And so I'd say there's two ways that in this season, uh, if you kind of call Encounter Church home or you're a part of this church family or you just want to be a part of the good that we're doing, um, you can do that through our app or through we have a website, EncounterChurch.com forward slash give, um, because we won't be passing baskets. And also on the way out, you'll find there's some people with some baskets that you can drop it in there if you wrote a check or whatever. Um, that's also the way we're going to do prayer requests. If there's a way we can pray for you, Clearly, we're not going to be passing something in the room where you can let us know how we can be walking with you and praying for you in this season. But our app, EncounterChurch.com forward slash app, you can do it there. You can write it on the card. You can email me. You can just drop it in the basket, however we want to do it. But we want to, as a church, we believe that God's not done. And that this song is a declaration to the fact that even in the midst of the unknown, it is still well. So, thank you for being here today. And Dallas will be up right after this and we will head out but I'm so grateful and let's embrace the God who is the one who does all things well even when it's not